we're, we're alive. Okay, so I'd like to start with, probably won't need that, I'd like to start with, uh, we're continuing on in First Peter. All right, now, I do have a couple of things that I have to say. I'm, I hope you will bear with me because I can't move on quite as fast as I'd like to. No, that's not true. I'm not going to move on very fast. That's a better way to say it. Because I just believe that it's important, these first two verses, to get this out so we understand what God is doing in his telling Peter what to tell these folks that are being persecuted and how can he encourage them. So, so far we've had two messages. In the first one we looked at some of the introduction of 1 Peter. In the second one we looked at, we continued that, and then we looked at the person of Peter and his apostleship and his being flawed. He's a human being. He's a sinner, though saved. So we looked at some of that. So I would like to read 1 Peter chapter 1, and I will just, for now, I'll just read 1 Peter 1, 1, uh, to 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. <clears throat> so what I want to do today is I want to look at the next part. We looked at Peter and his apostleship. Now I, I want to look at who is it that chose and sent Peter to write this letter. This is not just a letter. This is a letter spoken by God through Peter to encourage his people that are being persecuted in these places. So that's what I want to look at today. So I, I want to look just for a moment at Exodus 3. Turn to Exodus 3 with me. And we'll start out in uh, verse 1. So he says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro and his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock back to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush, of a bush. So he looked and beheld, or behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. <clears throat> then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he, Moses, said, Here I am. Then he, God, said, 
Do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. So what I want to say about that right now is I want to introduce you. You all know, but I want to give you uh, a little bit about who this is that sent Peter and caused him to write this letter to these people. Peter, an apostle, apostle, a sent one. He was chosen by Jesus himself, sent by Jesus himself, and then now he's well on in his ministry, almost to the end. And Jesus is the one that sent him, that caused him, put in his heart, write this to these people. They're discouraged. They're being persecuted dramatically, drastically. And they, I want you to tell them this because I love them so. And Peter already knew that he loved him. So that's what I want to try to do today. But in saying that, I am wholly inadequate to do this. So I hope you will bear with me. Stay with me. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. I don't want to say anything myself. I want the Lord to say it. So here we go. We will give this a try. So <clears throat> the first thing is, uh, who is this Jesus? So before we go there, was he mentioned in the Old Testament? Because he's really introduced by name in Matthew. So, yes, turn with me, please. And I, I brought my Bible so that... I'm, I know I'll be slower than you, so I want to go to these different passages. I want you to go with me and see everywhere that he is, and we'll barely scratch the surface today. So look at me first to Luke, uh, with me first to Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. And I'm not going to have time to explain all this, but I just want to read a lot to you. I want you to see who he is and see if we can see the beauty and majesty and magnificence and love of Christ in what we look at today. The one that sent Peter to write this letter to these people. They're so discouraged, being persecuted terribly, as Pastor Dennis often speaks about, the persecuted Christian. God knows them all about that and he sends people to them to encourage them with his word, not ours. So in Luke 24, am I there? No. Get there, Kent, and then, all right. Luke 24, verse 25 to 27. So he's on the road to Emmaus with these, these guys, and I'd love to tell you more about them, but not today. Then he said to them, oh, foolish ones, now just a little, we all know this is, after the resurrection, the day of the resurrection, after he had shown himself alive to Mary Magdalene, after he had shown himself alive to the women on the road to Emmaus, after Peter and John had run to the sepulcher and found that it was empty and grave clothes laying there and the head grave clothes were laying apart from this after that. And then it was after, probably, maybe about the same time, after he saw Simon or Peter, and now he's talking to these two that he's joined up with on the road to Emmaus, about a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem. And they're talking, and he meets up with them. So anyway, 
Uh, I'm just going to go in verse 25 to 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Not in one or two scriptures, in all of them. So he was busy for seven miles and probably talking quite fast. I don't know. But there was a lot. So he's mentioned in the Old Testament. I just want to look at that a little bit. So the first place I want to go to is obviously Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, God had created Adam and told him, don't eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. The day you do, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you do eat of it, you will surely die. And then he took Eve from his side, he, and Adam instructed her. And then we come to chapter 3, and the serpent, Satan, came and tested them. And Eve took of the tree, disobeying God, and Adam took with her as she gave it to him. So it wasn't until then that this was necessary. But in chapter uh, 3, verse 14, So the Lord God, God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Here we go. I, God said to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He, her seed, shall bruise your head, or crush, destroy you, and you shall bruise his heel. So we all know that that was Jesus being promised. So I'm sure Adam didn't know all that at the time. He had no revelation about that until this right here. But this is the first time that Jesus is promised to come to the earth to crush this serpent, Satan. That's the first time. So then I would like to look at Genesis chapter 22, uh, verse 18. Now leading up to that, of course, Genesis 22, verse, uh, verse 18, leading up to that is God calling... Abraham, Irv from the Chaldees, and he comes out of there and he gives him a covenant in Genesis chapter 3 and affirms it in 15, confirms it in 15 and 17. So here he's saying in Genesis 2, uh, 22, verse 18, he says, In your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have heard my voice. And what did he say in there? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. He said that in chapter 12. And he's saying it here. All the nations will be blessed. How will they be blessed? By that seed of the woman. He's promising again. That's how they'll be blessed. That's the only way they can be blessed. We're not talking about prosperity and wealth and riches and fame. We're talking about being reunited with God. There's only one way to do that. And that'll be through this one that is promised uh, back in Genesis 3. So 
we're promised he's going to be of the seed of Abraham. And then we'll turn to Genesis 49, uh, verses 8 to 10. So now it's the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. Chapter 49, verses 8 to 10. He said, Judah, you who are he whom your brothers shall praise, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, your father's children shall bow down before you, Judah is a lion's whelp, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down and he lies down as a lion, as a, and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Shiloh being Christ, and the people will obey him. So this is another promise of, the, of Jesus coming from the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to be anywhere near as exhaustive as Jesus would have been on that road to Emmaus. First of all, I don't have... Uh, seven miles to walk and the time to tell him or the knowledge that Jesus had to do that. But that's another promise uh, from, uh, from the Old Testament. And then just turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. I want you to see it just a little bit and I won't have time today to, to finish it all. But maybe next time we'll carry on because there's so, so, so much. But chapter, what, Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. So I'll just start in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to open its seven seals. So that's just quoting from back in Genesis 49. He has been promised back from Genesis 3, 22, 49, many other places in between there. And then let's go to uh, Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter Verse 17. And he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and a batter the brow of Moab, and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of the tumult. That star out of Jacob is Jesus. He's promising him Jesus is coming. And I'll try to get through these a little, a little bit quick because we got more to go on in a few minutes. So look at Deuteronomy, 20, uh, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19. Deuteronomy 18. And this is another reason 
when you're reading, that's why I'm kind of doing this, but it's kind of how I read too. Uh, like when I read First Peter, I'm starting a book. When I read it, I want to know who's, who's writing it. Who's he writing it to? Who made him write it? Who wanted him to write it? This is the message from who? Is it just Peter? No, it's much more than that. So as you read the Bible, God's inerrant, infallible word, it is his inerrant, infallible, necessary word from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation, the end of Revelation 22. So I want to see all about this, and it ties together everywhere. He, I'm asking the question here, is he shown in, is he promised in the Old Testament? And he is many more places than I'll tell you, but as you read the Bible, look to see who's talking and why. And it's always God through whoever. And we got to hear that. It's necessary for us to hear and understand all of it. If you just read it here, do you think about who Jesus is? Do you think about he's the one that wanted Peter to write that? What, what if we were the persecuted ones? What if we were the ones that the government's coming in here and cutting our heads off, burning down our homes, burning our church, hurting our children? That's who these people were. And Jesus Christ said, Peter, I want you to go write this letter to them, encourage them. We'll see more about the encouragement later. This is so wonderful. But we won't see it today. At least not all of it. So Deuteronomy 18... 18 verses 15 to 19. I should have used my iPad. I'll never get done doing this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses said. God said through Moses. A prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb. Now Horeb, the Mount of God, is really is Mount Sinai. It's just another word for Mount Sinai, where the law was given. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What... They have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So he's going to send a prophet like Moses. What did Moses give him? The law of God, what God said. That's what this one will do. Who is it? It's Jesus. So let's look a little further. Second Samuel, so we first we have a seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, tribe of, of the tribe of Judah, a star coming out from, the, from Jacob, a prophet like Moses. Uh, so now let's look at Second Samuel chapter 7. Verses 12, 13, and 16. So he says, When your days are fulfilled, uh, talking to David, 
When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Uh, I'm I'm not going to read that because that verse applies to Solomon. If he commits iniquity, I, I will read it. I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him, that be Solomon, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. But verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before your throne. Your throne shall be established forever. So that's, this is, we see him of the seed of David. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I'll start in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God would will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That is the fulfillment of the beginning of the fulfillment of what he told him in Second Samuel uh, chapter 7. So we have there the seed of David. So we have the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Judah, prophet like Moah, Uh, Moses of the seed of David. And then, let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Remember, that's right after Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord. But Isaiah 7, verse 14. And he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So, he's going to be born of a virgin. And we can go to many places in the New Testament, and maybe we'll go to one or two in a few minutes. So, he will be born of a virgin. So, he's promised to be born of a virgin in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born. That would be his virgin birth. Unto us a son is given. That is the eternal son of God. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Jesus is going to come and be born into the world, a virgin we just read about a little while while ago. So he's talking to these guys on the road to Emmaus, and this is the one that has told Peter, write this letter and encourage these people. 
yes, I'm, look at all the prophets all the way through the Old Testament. Of course I've been mentioned there. So he goes on, and uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. And now this is his name by which he is called the Lord our righteousness. He's promised everywhere in the Old Testament. Uh, turn with me to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. <clears throat> and he says in verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from, ever, from of old, from everlasting. That can't be anybody but Jesus. He's, he's promised them in all these places, and I've missed a lot of them. Hopefully I'll get them in another message, or at least some of them. So it can't be anyone else but him. Now turn with me, if you would please, to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verse 2. Now let's start in verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing or imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and his distress and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Talking about no one else but Jesus. Can't be anyone else. And then... Uh, Let's look at Psalm 16, verse 10. <clears throat> and he says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or the old, the old King James says, in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is Jesus. He won't leave him there. He's the only one he doesn't leave in the grave. He raises him from the dead. That's Jesus. So, keep going. So that's, uh, let's look at chapter 22, Psalm 22, verses 1 
and following. <clears throat> and this is prophetic of only Jesus. It can't be anyone but Jesus. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted you, and you delivered them. Or they trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and you were, and were delivered. They trusted in you, and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, and no man. And a reproach, I'm not, I'm not going to read all of it, but let me encourage you to read verses up through well, the whole chapter. But let me just read also uh, verse 19 and following. Uh, no, verse 18 and following. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the thorn, the horns of the wild oxen. It's talking about Jesus. Don't forsake me. It's talking about his time on the cross and uh, what they were going to do to him, a little bit of what they were going to do to Jesus on the cross. So this is just a small, small taste of him being promised in the Old Testament different phases all the way up through his crucifixion. And hopefully I'll get to spend more time on that, but I want to just move on a little bit here. So I want to look at, as we go along, and I won't get to all of this, who is this promised one? Why did he come? What did he do? What is he doing? And what's he going to do? Now I won't, get to, I won't finish this first one today. Maybe another time. So who is this promised one? So turn with me to John chapter 1. Verse 1. <clears throat> and we're going to read some here, so you'll be able to stay here for a couple minutes. So it's so important to see all of this, because I'm trying to show you Jesus, the Son of God. And we're going to see a little bit about who he is as we look at this. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, God, uh, was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word, we got to first kind of have a look at him. He was with God, and he was God. So we're going to look at that more, the Lord willing, if we ever get there, in verse 2, when we look at the Trinity. But for the moment, God is one in essence, but He dwells, He exists in three persons. He reveals Himself in three persons. Eternally, God the Father. Eternally, God the Son. Eternally, God the Holy Spirit. They say the Father is the source. The Son is the uh, expression. The Son is the second person of the Trinity, but eternally generated, they say. There's discussion there. Uh, but He's, as long as the Father has been, He has been. They are one. And then there's the proceeding of the Holy Spirit, who is also 
a different person, but the same God. So as we look at this and we see the Word was with God. So he's not the first person. He's the second person of the Trinity. So, and the Word was God and he was in the beginning with God. He's as eternal as God is. God is of necessity from everlasting to everlasting. When he spoke the universe into being, he was there eternally prior to that. It was his good pleasure to speak the universe into being. All that he has done and is doing is of his good pleasure. And it was his good pleasure to have Peter write this letter to these persecuted Christians. Because he still, he loves us. How long has he loved us? With an everlasting love. How much? Well, he loved, he loved us enough to send Peter to write this letter to encourage these people. But he loved us enough to send his son to die on a cross to pay for our sins. And he's worthy to be learned about. He is worthy and only he is worthy. We must know him. The, if we, we cannot, in truth, now many people say it, I love the Lord. They don't know a thing about him. Or they don't know much about him. We must know who the triune God is. I'm just trying to get that started right now. So he was the word who was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him nothing was made that was made. He created the universe. The Son of God created the universe. Now there's more to be said about that. Of course I, I can't get into all the details right now. But the Father, Son and Holy Spirit created the universe. We'll see more about that another time. Hopefully. So he was. all things were made by him. So he's the creator of the universe, and without him nothing was made that was made. Nobody made anything that he didn't make. Think of that. In the beginning there was nothing. No electrons, no protons, no neutrons, no other kind of trons. There was nothing. And Jesus spoke, and the universe happened. Okay, and so he goes on and says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. And then uh, verse 9, there was, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So he gave us life when he created the universe on day 6. Uh, he, was, he gave us the light. He's the light. He gave us light. He gave us life. He breathed life into our breath, into our being. And he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Now, there's an awful lot we're going to say about that in time to come, the Lord willing. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They didn't receive God, the Son, that had been promised. And I only read just a very, very few of those promises from the Old Testament. But they didn't receive him. Many of them said they were expecting him. But when he spoke, they didn't hear him. They were expecting the wrong one. I don't want you to expect the wrong one. I want you to expect the Jesus who spoke the universe into being, who died on the cross to pay for our sins. I want you to know him from his word. So we go on, and he says uh, in verse, I'll go in verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right or the authority or the power to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. You must be born again. First John, we must be born of God. He was born so that could happen. And the Word, verse 14, And the Word became flesh, or was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him. Now this is another thing that we won't get to very much at all. Uh, but that's another thing in uh, Isaiah and Malachi. There was one to come to prepare them for his coming. And he preached, repent and believe, as John the Baptist. So that's who's talking here. That's the one speaking here. And he says, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who is coming after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So in 1 John 1, 1, to 18, we see that he's God, but not the first person, but the second person. We'll see more about that. We see that he is called the Word. Only John uses that here in Revelation and 1 John. Uh, he's the creator. He's eternal. He's creator of all things. In him is life. The life was the light of men. The Word became flesh and dwelt among... That can't be anyone but Jesus. So Jesus came... To give us eternal life. He had already given us life and we forfeited that in Genesis chapter 3. And death ensued. And we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. And until he gives us this life and we receive it by his grace, then we remain dead. And we can only be evil, wicked, and against God. So we must know this one that the Father sent. And gave that we might have eternal life. So I'll move on just a little bit. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 to 20. So don't forget these things. Who he is. As you read the answer is always the word of God. And God gave his son. And his son died on the cross to pay for our sins. And we are not worthy. Nor can we ever be. So Colossians chapter 1. Verses 13 and following. 13 to 20. He delivered us from the power, that is God, delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son of His love. That's, that would be Jesus. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He paid for our sins with the shedding of His blood. The sins had to be paid for. The law must be kept. Jesus kept it. And therefore he gave us eternal life. He, our sins were put upon him. There was no sin in him. He was made to become sin for us. Our sins were put on him. He endured the awful, terrifying wrath of a holy God to pay the sin, the debt that we owed. And when the Father was satisfied with that payment, Jesus said, it is finished. Yielded up his spirit, gave up the ghost, was buried, rose again the third day. 
that our sins would be forgiven. The Father had forgiven us. The payment had been made. We had been redeemed. The purchase price was complete. So he goes on to say, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, meaning he's the preeminent one. Doesn't mean he was the first uh, to be raised or anything like that. It means he's the preeminent one, the unique son of the, of the Father. He's the eternal son of God. He is made in the he is the image of God, the exact representation of, of who God is. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So I won't, obviously, it's way too much to look at. I won't get into that very much, but you've heard it before. Pastor Dennis has preached on it many, many times. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. We want to look at the grace of God. We want to look at the greatness of God. We look at he spoke this universe into being. We look that he saved souls. That's the greatest thing that can be imagined. But just, we talk about his sovereignty. Imagine his providence. That by him all things consist. There's nothing that has ever gone on in this, on this earth or in this universe that God didn't, from all eternity, plan and set in motion, and it's going to happen, or it has already happened, precisely as he said. So, he gives you the breath, the sensation in your fingers, in your palate, to eat, taste, feel, smell, see, hear, all that is of God. Everything that happens in the universe, good, bad, or indifferent, God does that, and he's moment by moment, all the time, though he's holy and separate from this universe, separate from his creation, yet he's involved in it completely all the time, though he's separate from it. He didn't need it. It was his good pleasure to create it for us, those that believe. So he was, this, he was and is the son of the Father, uh, in whom we have redemption. He's the image of the invisible God. We see here. He's before all things. Everlasting. Eternal. He holds everything together. He's the head of the body. The church. He's the savior. That's the one that has Peter. Writing this letter. To encourage these people. Imagine you're that people. And then in, let's just look quickly at. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm reading these three passages because they all say pretty much the same thing with a few minor additions or nuances that might be just a, a little different. But in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir 
of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I'll just read a couple more verses. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and you shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits? And his ministers a flame of fire. But the, to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, God the Father says to his Son in Psalms, To your throne, O God, is your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And there's Read the rest of Hebrews chapter 1. So I just, that's as far as I'm going to go today. I'll, if I ever do this again, I'll continue that because there's so much more to come. Why did he come? What did he do? What's he doing? What will he do? And it's, it's going to get more and more exciting, but I want you to see who this is that loved you and died on the cross to pay for your sins. Had he not done it, when he told Adam, in the day that you eat of that tree, you'll surely die, had he not finished up there in Genesis chapter 3 and cursed that serpent and promised the Savior, we would all go to hell. There's no hope. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the only way. But, Turn with me just real quick, and I'll close right here. To Romans chapter 10. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one can come to the Father but by me. But in Romans chapter 10, he says, <clears throat> starting in verse 9, uh, better start in verse 8, that's where the sentence begins. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, this one we're talking about today. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes under righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says... Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for if there is no distinct, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. That's this one that had Peter, that chose Peter to write this letter to these people that are being persecuted and killed, some of them. So I want you to consider this one who is God, who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, 
who is the Redeemer that died on the cross to pay for the sins of all that the Father gave to him. We'll get into that more later too, hopefully. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Read the scriptures from end to end continuously. They tie things together so beautifully. You will see more of the majesty and beauty and loveliness and eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the triune God. You can't see that by reading a verse here or there or listening to a message now and then. Read from the Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22 continuously. And when you finish the first time, do it the second. See, you can get 10 times, 20 times, 100 times. I don't know if we'll live that long, but you get the idea. Love the Lord who loved you so much he gave his only begotten son. This one that I want the scriptures, the power of the word of God to enter your being that you might see his blessedness and his greatness and his love for us. And these Christians, they had this letter written to. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your sacred word. Lord, we're not much. We're sinners. You loved us. You gave your son for us. We're not worthy of the least of your favor. There's nothing we could ever do to please you now or before. We need you every hour. We need the righteousness of Christ put on us or there's no hope. We praise you and, and love you and worship you and pray that you will sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. Blessed is your name. Amen.